Hi, and welcome to the Jimboomba Baptist Church Sermon of the Week. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. Now you know my secret. Uh, you never knew that, right? No, you've probably always known it. You're like, Scott, it's a bit obvious. All right. Um, let's jump in. I've got a fair bit to get through today. So, uh, so you're right to go till afternoon tea time, right? You good? Yeah. Um, there are lots of things in life that are counterintuitive. Hey, counterintuitive. Who? Raise your hand if you know what that means. Counterintuitive. Yep, Dave does now. Uh, <laughs> counterintuitive. Something you didn't expect to be the case. Okay. Uh, for instance, when it when people are polled on their fears, you know this. Uh, death is not the top, is it? Rejection, public speaking even, is one of the greatest fears of people. That's a little bit counterintuitive to logic, right? Death should be more important. Okay, which falls faster, a bowling ball or a feather? Yeah, a bowling ball, actually. But which falls faster in a vacuum? They're the same which is so counterintuitive. When you see a bowling ball and a feather in a vacuum fall at the same rate, it's a little bit... Okay, which is heavier, a ton of bowling balls or a ton of feathers? They're the same. It's a ton. Yeah, of course. It's Right, but in, what about this? I always get this one wrong. Who pours the wrong way? I pour the wrong way and it goes everywhere. It's a little bit counterintuitive because you think things should be at the bottom, right? Okay, who is happier? The silver medalist or the bronze medalist? Okay, let's take a poll. Silver medalist, hands raised. Of course, you're holding your hands down because you know it's counterintuitive. You know the answer is going to be bronze, right? A study shows that bronze medalists are more happy than silver medalists. A bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Why is that? When you think it through, it kind of makes sense. It's the what if. Because the silver medalist, oh, what? Could have got gold. Whereas the bronze medalist, just glad they got a medal, right? Just glad, like, yeah, scraped in there. That's good. So many things are counterintuitive in life. Uh, Jade and I, uh, we're getting better, but our house plants die on a frequent basis. Why? I'm like, babe, and, and I don't know why this is dying. And she said, I don't know why it's dying. I've watered this. I'm like, yeah, I've watered this too. Turns out watering it too much is just as bad as not watering it at all counterintuitive or if you've got like a weepy wound this is a bit gross sorry this is, this is great this is what my wife tells me she's a nurse uh, if you've got a weepy wound should you take the bandage off air it out and dry it out or keep the bandage on so it's all gross and woozy in there <laughs> medical community will say don't dry it out keep it covered to keep it you know from bacteria and infection and it needs to be a little bit moist this is so gross i know i didn't expect this in church this morning because the moist kind of helps it you know do its healing thing super gross anyway uh okay this one if you want to freeze water as fast as possible do you put tap water in your freezer or do you put hot water really hot water in your freezer you don't know this you're going to go and try it hot water freezes faster 
than tap temperature water. It blew my mind. When my physics teacher told me this, I laughed at him. I thought he was joking. I'm like, oh yeah, we're going to go and put different, you know. Actually it works. Hotter water freezes. Super counterintuitive, right? Very counterintuitive. See, the thing is, Jesus, Jesus taught many counterintuitive kingdom principles. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, you're so welcome. We're so glad you're here. And I want you to see that Jesus is who he says he is, partly because of these incredible counterintuitive principles that the world go totally against. Yet these principles actually work in life. And Jesus taught many of them, many of counterintuitive principles. For instance, he said, if you want to save your life, you got to what? Lose it. What? Huh? Say I like to lose. He said, when you welcome the lowly, you welcome him who's at the top. That's kind of bizarre. He said, if you want to be the greatest of all, be the servant of all. It's so upside down, isn't it? That's counterintuitive. He said, when evil comes against you, don't retaliate, don't resist, don't revenge. Actually, repay evil with good. That's so counterintuitive. The world does not teach us that, does it? So incredible. But you'll see that when you apply these principles in your life, these are just not nice ideals. They have radical impact in the world. Radical impact. Today we're going to look at a key principle for Christian maturity. Who wants to be a mature Christian, a mature Jesus follower. And, and this principle for Christian maturity is very counterintuitive. It's one of the counterintuitive principles that Jesus puts forward. But I believe it will really keep you vibrant in your Christian walk. It will keep your life vibrant and the purposes of God in your life at the forefront. And I believe that... When you keep this principle in your life as a key to Christian maturity, you see God work in incredible ways. That's what we want, isn't it? We're not impressed with what we can do, are we? Like, we're over that. How many people are over with seeing how good you can be? I'm totally over that, right? You know, and if you're not, like, ask your spouse, they'll tell you. Over that, like, no, it's, let's, let's see something else. But we want to see what God can do in our lives, and this is so key and core for that happening. So we're going to jump to the the passage. Ready? Here we go. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Now, in the ancient world, this is pretty common, just like it is these days, really, for uh, people to bring children to be blessed by a rabbi or, you know, religious figure. We see this uh, across different faith traditions, even. All right, And so this is what was happening. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was, what? Indignant. Angry Jesus. Angry Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the fullest expression of who God is. When, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. When does Jesus get angry? You learn something great about the character of God when you see Jesus get angry. Here's one of those times. He was indignant. 
when the disciples are stopping these kids come to him. And he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not, who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Whoa, they're strong words, aren't they? Will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Jesus, again, is elevating the lowly in society. He's, he elevates women a lot in his ministry and those oppressed by others. And he's elevating children because they were not valued like, like they are today. And you know what? The reason they're valued today is because of Jesus. He is elevating and he's angry at his disciples. He's saying the kingdom of God believes to, belongs to these kids. This, that's an incredible statement, isn't it? The kingdom of God belongs to these little ones. And he's saying people, if they want to receive the kingdom, they've got to receive it like a kid. And I don't think Jesus is talking about a once-off thing. Well, once you receive the kingdom, that's cool. Then grow up and don't be childlike at all ever again. You know, I think Jesus is saying this is an ongoing attitude of a Jesus follower, an ongoing attitude of a kingdom person. So let me just uh, look at two things today. First, really quickly, and then we're going to look at being like little children. But first, the value of children. It's so clear here that Jesus wants to elevate our value for children. Jesus was angry at people hindering and oppressing vulnerable people. And, and children were, were, were definitely in this category. And God, God is so grieved over the abuse that happens to anybody, but especially of kids, hey? Especially. And Jesus is saying that kids are so valuable. In fact, I think he's saying that kids are valuable and we need kids in our life to teach us. We actually need kids. Whether we have kids or not, whether we're part of a family that has kids or not, we need to be part of the greater family of God. We need to be part, kids need to be part of our life to teach us something. I think it says this about church. I think it says that how we do church is really important. That it needs to involve children. We need to focus on children. We should be happy and rejoice when we hear a bit of noise in our services because of kids, a bit of disruption, a bit of distraction, because they are a bit disruptive, aren't they? They're a bit, you know, which is why the disciples are pushing away. You know, Jesus, you don't need this. Like, these kids are disruptive. You're busy. They're distracting, you know. You know, when you teach and these kids are, you know, we've got to shut them up and get them out. And Jesus is saying, oh, don't treat children like that. Don't treat children like that. We should be rejoicing at a bit of a mess because of children. Children are messy, aren't they? They are. Jesus welcomed them. I know that my heart's a bit off when kids are just annoying me. Yeah? Just annoying me. I think it says this too. Youth ministry is so important. Kids for Christ is so important. And we... We value this, we pray about it, we plan about it, 
We must be a church that serves our kids and we must serve and support those who are serving our kids and help them. Thank you, Lou, Charlene and the team that do KFC. You guys are doing a fantastic job. And we're so grateful because this is such a valuable and important part of the ministry of this church. Looking out for our kids. Jesus would be cheering us on. See, notice that Jesus receives these kids. He blesses them. He hugs them. He loves them. He doesn't first check a list to see if they've been naughty or nice. You notice? There are some naughty kids involved. (laughs) There are some naughty kids. Maybe naughty parents too. He doesn't check a list. He blesses them indiscriminately. And children and youth do not need to earn the Father's love or blessing. Which means that's the way we should treat them too. I mean, this is how our Heavenly Father treats us. Look at this passage in Matthew 5. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He's not saying you do this to become children. He's saying that children of God act like this. All right? Um, He causes, God, the Father, causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. God blesses both righteous and unrighteous. And our heart should be the same, like our Heavenly Father. And this absolutely applies to kids. But let's look at how Jesus is calling us to have a heart attitude that is like little children. All right, the little children. Notice it's the little children. Which are more innocent, the older children or the little children? (laughs) You got to get down low, right? The little children. Now, we know children aren't perfect, right? Okay, we know children are messy in bad kinds of ways, right? We get that. But I really believe Jesus is giving us a model of how we're meant to live in the kingdom of God, how we're meant to receive it, how we're meant to enter it. And by the way, the kingdom of God is the reign in which God is king, his dynamic reign, where God's will is actually happening, where his reign is actually happening. It's the dynamic happening of what God wants. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of God is the domain, the dome in which God is king. In other words, the, the, the place and the attitudes and the, and, and the whole gist of God's way happening. Because God's ways aren't always happening, are they? Every time there's sin involved or evil, God's will is not happening on earth as it should be in, in heaven, like it is in heaven. So Jesus is saying that when we are like little children, this is a model of how we should be living in the kingdom of God. See, Christian maturity requires a childlikeness. Christian maturity requires a childlikeness. To be mature in the kingdom, you must be like a little child in some regards. Not in other regards. Not in every regard, but in some, in some ways. And here are the, here's the gist of what I think Jesus is saying. You as children of God, you should be like children in this way. Children don't earn stuff, do they? They ask for stuff. Children aren't self-reliant. They trust. They don't have pride in general. They are humble. They don't have 
problems receiving things, do they? They'll just keep receiving. They'll just keep taking. We feel awkward about that, don't we? But they just keep taking. I think there's something behind that too because we think maybe we've earned it or something. Kids know that they don't earn it. They just receive, right? Kids know that they don't know how to do a lot for themselves. Kids are teachable. And the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, belongs to people with these attitudes. This is pretty cool. I like this. Because the kingdom of God and God himself is a gift to us. Salvation is a gift, isn't it? Think about it. The, on the day of Pentecost, uh, when they heard Peter preach about Jesus, and they're like, well, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then later, in a few verses, it says, those who accepted the message were baptized. Okay? Not those who earned the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not a gift if you earn it. See, this is something kids are good at. Kids are good at receiving. And we've got to be receivers from God, knowing he's our father. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn any work of the Holy Spirit. We can't earn anything from him. We can't earn any breath, uh, one breath of our life. We can't earn any of that stuff. We've got to receive life and his life and his purposes working through us as a gift from him. Anyone who thinks they've earned it has ruled themselves out. You've got to receive the kingdom of God. No one enters the kingdom of God unless you receive it like a child. Receive the kingdom of God. It is a gift. See, and sometimes we think Christian maturity means getting over our dependence and need for God. (laughs) Totally contrary to what Christian maturity is. We always need to be reliant on him. See, because Christian maturity is Christ-likeness. And if you look at the life of Jesus and what we're taught by Jesus in the New Testament... There's a lot in there that parallels being like a child, being childlike. How is Jesus childlike in his character? And let me just run through a bunch of things that I think we need as Christians in our life to be childlike in the sense that Jesus is, is, is speaking, okay? You ready? I'm going to pause and pray for us right now and pray that God speaks to our heart just maybe one of these things that we need to actually repent, like turn from our own self-dependence and self-reliance and become childlike again in our trust in him. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you call us your children. And just when we say yes to what you've done for us, thank you for that. Thank you, Father. And Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that I would get too, that I would get again on another level just how you use me when I'm just like a child, like a kid before you, knowing that I can't produce any real kingdom fruit. I can't, I can't make, cause your arm to move. I'm totally reliant on you, and my words will mean nothing unless you pick them up, and empower them by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, I ask for your anointing right now. 
You bless these words and you penetrate hearts and minds in your name, Jesus. And make us in the way that you want us to be like kids again. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God wants us to be fully dependent. Jesus was fully dependent on the Father, wasn't he? Like, like, do you know what Jesus, do you know what Christ means? Christ means Messiah, and Christ and Messiah mean anointed one. Jesus was the anointed one. Do you know why he's called the anointed one? Because he was anointed by God. With what? With the Holy Spirit, with God's very presence himself. Jesus acknowledged that even being the anointed one meant he was fully reliant and dependent on God's power working through him. Jesus did zero miracles that we know of, zero miracles before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. His whole life is a life of dependence on the Father. And he says this, John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus constantly repeated that he was totally reliant on the Father through the Spirit. He didn't do stuff of himself. He didn't do stuff because he was God. He was fully 100% God, 100% human. But Jesus, taking on the limitations of 100% being human, uh, and, and he did this so he could be a perfect example to us, showed that humans are meant to be fully dependent on God at all times. This is how Jesus operated, by the Holy Spirit. This is why he came and did his work, so he could send his Holy Spirit into people, so we could be fully dependent on God, living this way. Children are fully dependent on their parents, aren't they? Little children. We're to be fully dependent. Kids have a simple trust. Jesus had a simple trust, not simplistic trust, a simple trust in the ability of the Father. A simple trust in the ability of the Father. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are uh, possible with God. Isn't this how kids think? They think parents can do anything. I remember like carrying Hazel and like, God, oh, honey, do you think I can carry Willow too? Yeah, here we go. Okay, and there's a shopping bag there. Do you think God, Daddy can carry that too? Yeah, yeah, look at Daddy. Isn't Daddy strong? Daddy has to build him up, himself up a bit. Isn't Daddy strong? Yeah. Do you think Daddy could lift a bus? Now, there's a school bus that drives up our street every school day. She knows how big a school bus is. Do you think Daddy could lift a bus? Yeah. Oh, thanks, honey. You make daddy feel good. Daddy can't lift a bus. But our daddy can. And there's this simple faith, not simplistic, but simple, just trusting God can do all things. And we lose that as we grow up, don't we? We lose that. We don't want to lose that. Western Christians way too smart for ourselves at some point, don't we? We just get way too smart for ourselves. We start, And the problem is when we think we're smart, we start relying on our smarts when the book of Proverbs says, hey, lean not on your own understanding. It says get understanding, get wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not against that. Not anti-intellectualism, no. But still a full reliance and trust, a simple trust in the Father. This is, this is my conviction, is that why... The church doesn't see the miracles that we read in the New Testament often because we lack this simple trust in the Father. Where you see Christians just kind of 
like, like thinking God can do anything with this simple trust. Sometimes it is simplistic even. But you know what? You tend to see more stuff going on. That's what I've noticed. You tend to see more stuff because they just trust our Heavenly Father like He's a dad that can do anything and they just go for anything. I think God wants to reinstate that in our hearts. A simple trust, not simplistic. See, real maturity is a deeper trust in God. Real maturity is a deeper and more profound reliance on God. Real maturity is a fuller dependence on God, our Heavenly Father. Simple faith. Simple faith. God wants us to have a simple faith in Him. Look at this, Mark 11. Have faith in God. This is Jesus' teaching. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they, but what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Jesus isn't setting up a new ministry here, the mountains moving ministry. Like, Jesus is pretty happy where Mount Tambourine is. Like, don't go to Mount Tambourine this afternoon and start telling it to move, right? I don't think it's, you know, there's probably a very small exception to that rule right, where God needs an actual physical, literal mountain moved. He's being metaphorical here, right? And I believe he's even being metaphorical with the don't even doubt. And we'll go there when we actually get there in Mark 11. I don't think it's a simplistic, just, just believe something will happen and I just believe this black Lamborghini will just appear because I'm not doubting in my heart. And Black Lamborghini, black Lamborghini. Ah, thank you, Heavenly Father. You know, it's not about that. Aligned with his purposes and all that. But Jesus is getting to something though, isn't he? He's saying something by this. He's saying the biggest kind of problem a simple faith in God. Not always questioning whether God can do it or not, or even wants to, if you align with his will, if you know his heart. Just go for it. And no, notice he doesn't even say pray. He says just speak. Notice that? He's anyone who says to this mountain, how did Jesus heal people in his ministry? Do you ever see him pray? Oh, that just made us a bit uncomfortable. How do you see the early church healing people? Like, you know, Apostle John and Peter, Acts chapter 3. Did they pray to God? They actually just commanded this guy stand. Whoa, don't worry. James 5 does say we can pray as well. Like, you know, both and. But there's this incredible something that Jesus is saying. A simple faith in our Heavenly Father. I definitely feel like a kid when I'm praying for someone who's sick and really needs healing like really needs it i've seen many many people healed but when they really need it i just i i often still feel like a kid praying like i can't remove this sickness i can't do anything i just pray simple prayer and all i can do is just trust in god and ask god and operate in jesus authority you know it's not much more to it a simple faith. But I think this is Christian maturity, having being fully dependent, a simple trust in the Father, ability of the Father, a simple faith. Something also I think is kids don't care how they're viewed. They don't care how they're viewed, do they? Adults start caring. 
you know, that I didn't plan this, but did you see the little girl just come up and stand in front of everybody? That ain't, it doesn't care about you. It doesn't care about what you think. You might get scared at times, intimidated. But not one thought was going through her mind. How do I look right now? How do I look right now to this person? Oh, I haven't even met that person. How do they think of me? But isn't that the way we think? Proverbs says this, Fear of man will prove to be a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of principles. All right? So it's not saying that you're kept safe and nothing will ever go wrong in your life. This is a principle. But fear of man catches up. I remember one morning... I believe it was a church uh, uh, morning, a Sunday morning, and I said to Hazel, our oldest, and this is probably like a, a while ago, so she's younger, and I said, yeah, honey, go and get some clothes from your room, and we'll get you changed. Yeah, just pick whatever you want. Anyway, yeah. And like people give us lots of great gifts and lots of clothes and all this stuff. And she comes out in this bright red Christmas attire, and it's not Christmas time at all. It's not near Christmas, like... I did say you could wear whatever. Okay, honey, we're going to church in this bright red. Does she care what you think about what she's wearing? Nah. And I believe God's saying, hey, if you want to live vibrantly in the kingdom of God, be like a child. Be like a child. Now, it's unwise to not care about what people think at all because we don't want to make other people stumble or hurt people by our you know, senselessness, right? But you get what I'm saying. The fear of man, that's a dangerous thing. But be like a child. Don't, don't worry about what, how you are viewed. Kids are not proud. And you're like, well, you haven't met my child. Okay, young kids, are certain circumstances, they're not proud. And James 4, 6 says, God opposes, opposes the proud. He's quoting the Old Testament. And shows favor to the humble. Is it any surprise that Jesus is saying, hey, be like a child. In the kingdom of God, you need to be like a child. God, you will stop God doing things in your life by pride. It's a certain fact. But when there's humility... God is open to work. It's like we're blocking him out, saying, no, God, I can do this. And he's like, I created you. I know you can't. Are you going to be humble enough to admit that you need to be fully dependent on me? Kids are open to approach their parents, aren't they? Open to approach. I love this passage, Hebrews 4. Let us approach God's throne with trembling and fear and wearing our brown underwear because something might just happen, you know, like, and just trembling and like sweating and worrying about how the, you know, how God Almighty might treat. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He wants to be approached like a father. Why would God, why would Jesus go to so much trouble teaching about God as if he is a heavenly father, if he didn't want us to treat him like a heavenly father? Like kids aren't scared, shouldn't be scared of their parents, should be freely coming to their parents. 
knowing that they're going to receive grace, they're going to receive mercy, they're going to receive kindness. Yes, there's discipline from the parent, even discipline from God. Be careful how you frame that. But he wants to be approached boldly, doesn't he? He's saying, I don't want servants and slaves, I want kids. He actually says that, did you know? In John 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He, he, he came to make us children of God, knowing that we've got a loving heavenly Father who cares for us. So many people say, oh, I wouldn't come to church. You know, a lightning bolt, lightning bolt might strike me. I hadn't really heard that one until I became a pastor, actually. <laughs> it's like, oh, really? A lightning bolt? No, no. Hey, if God wanted to kill you, he would have done it ages ago. <laughs> you didn't think you were good enough and upsetting God? Like, he wouldn't need to wait for you to come into church to do that, right? He sends rain and sun on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's kind to all. He's kind to all. This is our Father in heaven. Kids are shameless of asking their parents, hey, or their father. Matthew 7, 7 through to 11. Easy to remember. Hey, 7, 11, 7, 7, 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. How many people are afraid to keep knocking on God's door? I don't want to annoy him, or I'm not worthy. If you're thinking you're not approaching God because you're not worthy, that means the only time you do approach him is when you do think you're worthy, which means you think you're earning whatever you're getting from him, which means you think it's not a gift. It's totally missing the whole grace principle. And God opposes the proud. God opposes those who think that they've earned something from him. It's a gift. It's a gift. Ask, seek not. And Jesus goes on, which of you, if your son, notice how he's framing it. Maybe you need to stop approaching God as the Lord Almighty King of the universe. Now he is. Don't get me wrong. And the Old Testament establishes that. And Jesus reaffirms that. But remember when he taught us how to pray, he says, pray this way. Our Father. He's really good at bringing it back to this family relationship because he wants that closeness. He's revealing what God is like. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, you bad guys, (laughs) you're evil. You know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See the basis on how we receive? gift it's a gift you don't earn it and the moment you think you've earned it you've stepped into pride and god opposes the proud he wants kids he wants kids i love it i love seeing the the scientist who's at the top of their field who loves god talking with a childlike trust in god that's deep maturity that is deep maturity. Shameless approaching of the Father. Kids have an expectation of the provision of, our, of parents too, don't they? 
You don't see kids like kind of stressing up and why, why can't you sleep, honey? Oh, I'm just worried about the bills. I'm worried about where our next meal is going to come from. I'm worried about this and that. They don't worry. They don't have care in the world. Why? Because they just rely on you. They, just, they trust that you've got this. Uh, Jesus speaks the same way. Hey, do not worry saying what shall we eat, what shall we wear, you know, what shall we drink, what shall we wear. The pagans, those who don't know God, uh, you know, this... Uh, God of Israel, they run after these things. For your heavenly Father knows you need them. Jesus wants us to think of God as a Father, that he'll supply all of our needs. Years ago, I actually forgot this story until I was going through my journals this week, which is why I wrote that church email about journaling. It's so important. Write your prayers, write down your thoughts, write the answers to prayer. And, oh man, I just forget all these incredible times God has answered prayer or moved in my life. Uh, and I love just reading through my journals. It's really encouraging. And I found one that I'd totally forgotten about. And it said something like, um, At this time, God had been challenge- challenging me to be more of a giver. Yet my finances were tight. A friend invited me to lunch, hands me a $100 note and says, I feel like God wants me to give you this. You know? And this happened so many times. There's like another time someone just gives me money. Another time someone in my home group who I barely knew gave me an envelope and there's a check in it for 1200 bucks. And another time I receive an envelope in the mail with $365 with a little note saying, every, you know, one for every day of the year that I'll supply your needs. You know, like, and I hadn't told anyone that I needed money. God just supplies. He's a loving father. You can trust him. And when he's asking you to be obedient, be obedient and watch, watch that he, you know, be obedient. He's not going to drop you. He's a loving father. Kids expect the provision of a father, of a parent. Last one. Kids seek the direction of their father. They, you know... When I'm going to take Hazel to the shops and we come out of the shops and there are hundreds of cars, hundreds of cars, she just holds my hand, trusting that I know where that car is, even when I don't. <laughs> like she just follows me and we walk around until we find that car. She just trusts that I know where to go. Kids have that trust of their parent and it's so essential. Like, look at this passage. I love this. Romans 8 is the best chapter in the Bible. Trust me. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Again, it's not, we we Westerners read this backwards. We think, okay, if we're led by the Spirit of God, we become children of God. He's not saying that. He's saying, if you are a child of God, it's just indicative, it's normal that you'll be led by the Spirit of God. This is what happens to children of God. We'll be led This is in the small things, in the big things. And I just want to say, if you're not being led by the Spirit, especially these big life-changing decisions people make, career, place to live, direction, all kinds of these things, like stop and seek God about what He wants. He knows best. He knows more than you. He knows more than us. And it's not just those big, you know, life-changing decisions, but it's the day-to-day thing. Pray that you'd be sensitive to the Spirit, that He'd lead you. And guide you. I remember a long time ago, again, I uh, was on a mission trip in Mexico. 
and I was walking with one of my friends, Julie, or a bunch of people, and Julie, my friend, was next to me, and this was like 20 years ago, and I'd been in America for a while doing this discipleship training stuff, and we were on this mission trip, and we are seeing incredible things happen in Mexico on this two-month mission trip, but it's drawing to an end. And at one point, Julie felt like God had a picture for me, okay? This is the spirit moving in her for me. And this is an important point. Don't be a hermit Christian. There's no such thing. Often he leads us through community too. You know, if you read Corinthians 12 and 14, the spiritual gifts, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, all this stuff, it comes often through other people to us. And so Julie said this to me, Scotty, I see this picture of you and you're like laboring over a calendar. You're like laboring over it. And you're planning. And God says, stop it. <laughs> now, I hadn't told anybody, but that's exactly what I'd been doing. Because this mission trip was coming to an end. It was close to the end of a year. And Scott, logical Scott, plan, man with a plan, Scott, goes, I need a plan for next year. What am I doing when I get back to Australia? What am I doing? I need a plan, and, you know, and people like it, and my parents like it when I've got a plan. I need to be planned out what I am doing. And it just read my heart of what I was doing because here's the thing. God's not against planning, but I was planning totally apart from him. I was planning totally apart from him. Where, how am I going to get an income? What am I going to do practically? Where's, you know, where's my life leading? What am I doing? Because I didn't have answers for those questions. So I was just kind of coming up with stuff all by myself. And God said, stop it. And oh, the conviction of God. <laughs> like, oh, I, every time I saw a calendar, I was like, oh, sorry, God, sorry. Now, I kind of laugh because a lot of my job now is over the calendar praying, you know, but I do it differently. I pray, I plan, looking at, okay, God, how do we do this? Planning is a good thing, not saying don't plan. But God spoke to me like, you need to be, and this was a lesson God was teaching me over and over in that time. Seek first God. Keep him part of, as you plan, as you think, keep him part of it. He leads us and, and in ways that we totally didn't expect. And that's exactly what happened in that season. I could go on, but, but time is up, so I'm just going to keep going. We need this childlikeness. We need to remain submitted and dependent on him. This is not a call to be childish. We are not, uh, we're not trying to call immaturity maturity. <laughs> Immaturity is still immaturity, you know. We're not saying be unwise, act with foolish behavior. We're not applauding ignorance. We're not being irresponsible, you know, and always relying on others just because we haven't taken responsibility and stewardship of what God has given us. It's not about that. It's not about being constantly an emotional adolescent, you know. This is not it. It's not about having an unregulated personality or an uncontrolled self when the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. See, Jesus was totally mature in love and wisdom and knowledge, yet totally dependent on the Father. And that is our call. And Jesus, totally dependent on the Father, calls out something incredible. Showing his dependence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice he doesn't call him father even because there's this separation that he's feeling. Because on the cross, Jesus was separated from the father as sin 
was poured on him so that we would never be forsaken by God and that we could call him Father. The spirit you received, which is the spirit we received because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, all his work and the sending of his spirit into us who believe. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The spirit you received brought about adoption to sonship, to being a child. The spirit, we cry, what? Abba, daddy, dad, father. This is Christian maturity. The spirit inside of us to be crying out, dad, dad. Do you feel that close to him? This is his desire for every one of us. As the worship team come up, this is God's desire that we'd be his kids, fully dependent on him, growing in wisdom and knowledge and all that, being responsible, stewarding things, but calling out to him in full dependence. Dad, Father, this is how he wants us to live. Father, thank you that you are our dad, that you send your spirit, your very presence into us to bring out a childlikeness in us that you designed us for, to be fully dependent on you, fully dependent on you, knowing that our life requires you to fill it and make it what it should be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And, and when you send your spirit, you say that we're no longer a slave, that, that we'd, we'd be in fear again. And Father, I just pray right now for anyone who has fear, for you to bring that up with them, God, and to show them your loving heart for them that you send your spirit not to bring fear, but to bring adoption as your children, as your sons and daughters. And that by your very presence, we don't quiver in fear, but rather we cry out, Abba, Father. I pray that would be, Holy Spirit, that you do this in hearts right now, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like more info, please see our website at jbc.org.au. May you know Jesus' presence with you. Have a great day and God bless.